0: right blessings to you and all your relations blessings to everyone listening or watching in the future (laughs) we're here with underworld party interviews and i believe in this is i did some math before because i have all these pre-recorded things that i titratedly give out and i think this is technically episode number 13 of the Underworld Party interview series. And so I thought that was an auspicious number for you to inhabit. <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: it. I feel really blessed too, just to be welcome into the space and um, this magical container that you have set up.
0: So thank you there. Thank you. Would you love to um, you know, just introduce yourself to the peoples?
1: Yes, my name's Stephanie Adam Santos, and I'm from Portland, Oregon. I'm a poet and tarot reader, and <laughs> slug-like creature. If you could see my <laughs> my the internal picture of myself, it, it would be something like uh, out of this out of the Ghibli, you know, like oh. those those giant pod creatures from Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm one of those trying to exist <laughs> through various forms.
0: Yeah. Luminous, giant snail creature that like lives in a different time zone. And yeah, totally. Very
1: mindless on
0: the inside and
1: constantly for some reason, torturing myself with trying to <laughs> express that through language, through thought,
0: through. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Um... Well, you've come to the right place. I welcome all luminous snail-like creatures from magical worlds. Um and um I'm excited to to just have a conversation with you because I I believe I'm I can't remember exactly where I met you, but it was a few years ago. It was definitely pre-COVID. Um it was I'm either cross paths,
1: I wonder. I don't, this might not be right, but if it was at, um, there was a BIPOC marketplace, or uh, does that ring any bells? Like an inter- I mean, it does. At, I'm, something like that.
0: Something like that. I mean, I don't remember the location as much as I remember that you were very clear about a kind of processual, a, proce- a process, a processer of of writing poetry that really spoke to my animistic sort of multiple voice like where the hell does poetry come from kind of thing like Mm. like the ability to take inspiration from disparate sources and sort of just they and weave them together and it's almost like it it comes and you're not doing the writing. You know like you're not necessarily the writer you're not like oh i'm i'm writing a poem about such and such it's more like it's more like oh here's some strings and fungi and magical oh it just happened to have here and um the the thing that really spoke to me was you used bibliomancy like not just consciously but transparently and you were just like oh yeah you know, you were just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, take, and I bought, and I have the book here that you recommend. Oh, that's
1: the one dictionary. The one.
0: That uh, I'll one. say it for everyone listening, it's the Penguin Dictionary of Symbols, which I think is like $2, you know. <laughs> like,
1: <laughs> incredible. That book, I found it when I was like 15 or something, and it, it, it's it been my, my Bible, My it's just such a glorious thick you know weight it's it's perfect for bibliomancy it feels
0: great yeah and for those who don't know what bibliomancy is would you love to to sort of um conjure a pithy explanation
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's divination with a book and you know it's called bibliomancy because it it originally was done with bibles um uh, I think stickomancy, I might be wrong. I think stickomancy is the broader form, just like all any with any book. Um, but I would say it should be a book you consider worthy <laughs> of divination. Yep. Don't try it with chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> from your, your question, or um, maybe it's not a question. Maybe you're at, you know, maybe it's just wanting to commune with another type of intelligence and you use the book to... You know let's say you do have a question should we do should we do a, an example live yeah let's
0: do an example because that's fun yeah
1: so let's say um you know dare well dare is holding the book and so the power is in their hands and so let's let's say my question i'm bringing is what is something that we should you know take into mind and body right now collectively yeah yeah and so there will you know however everyone has their own method some people flip through and say and say stop or you know how do you like to do it there
0: i do like to flip and um either say stop or just stop and maybe point you know like use my finger without looking that's hard just and then just sort of read um And I like to do it like more than once. But one time, I think as just an example is useful. I think it's just, you know, we'll do that and uh, just read a few of the words that come from that.
1: Yeah. So what 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 is something we should be thinking about or feeling about right now? Okay. Stop.
0: I'm gonna do my finger. You wanna say stop again? Yeah stop the dawning of that center is the awakening of consciousness
1: thank you for that (laughs) you see how it works and what's the larger entry that's under
0: the larger entry is really intense it is about um mayans (laughs) It is about Mayans, it is about the succession of four suns in the Aztec tradition, standing for the creation of a world, which with the fourth sun was imminent, but not yet manifest. And only the appearance of the fifth sun, the sign of the present age completed the manifestation. So it's about like a number of suns, cardinal points and crosses, I mean, it's pretty intense. Wow, can you read it again?
1: Yeah, the, just the original part you landed on.
0: Yeah, the dawning of that center. The so dawn- the, one, the, the dawning of that center is the awakening of consciousness. Yeah. And the context, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read before and after. I'll read the sentence before and the sentence after, because I think that's interesting to kind of move out from it both forward and backwards in time. So right before it is the fifth sun corresponds to the center or middle of the cross which they form. And the line after is, five is therefore the number which symbolizes human world consciousness. And then the Aztecs assigned the central sun to the god, ooh, uh, the god who is the lord of fire, sometimes represented by a butterfly. And it's, I think, Xiuhteculi, X-I-U-H-T-E-C-U-H-T-L-I, Xiuhteculi. And, you know, uh, it ain't an accident. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> it ain't an accident. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking about, you know, just going back to the fragment, you know, the, the idea of a center dawning, you can see the sun, right? Like that already is there. And just that I, I'm really interested in that idea like the literal sun, you know, and it's actually the actual force that it sends down through light, which is the birth of all, you know, it is, it is at the center of that, the great mystery of whatever life is. Yes. But I, I, I think there's something really beautiful there in the, in the thinking about like the physical embodiment of something within something so abstract as consciousness.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing is that like, when you or I go into the word that comes, it's, it becomes um, like a doorway into something, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not only the facade by which it reaches us, which is still beautiful. It's like, oh, this, this sentence in this book, right, which has a sort of a particularity to it. It's a kind of specificness, right? But then, when you actually take that in, like you're drinking water or something, or you're, and and it evokes or reminds or sort of opens into this whole other associated journey, dream, whatever. Um, and to me, it's like the power of language is not merely in its power to name things and keep them sort of contained within their naming. But to actually like go into that paradoxical world where the containment and the specificity of each word and the phrase actually unlocks something quite unlimited, right? Like the limitation leads to a kind of unlimitedness. And, and that's the, that for me is why poetry like, why poetry, you know, like, why poetry?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I mean, there's so much to what you said. There's so many ripples, it's hard to even know which one to, to go after. But the the, the first m- metaphor you gave of, drink, like, drinking water, taking in language as drinking water, resonates so deeply because it speaks to that really livingness of, you know, and how we take, how we create meaning um, in real life, I would say, versus how, you know, a socially concepted, a a socially accepted way of life. how meaning exists, maybe in more abstract forms and books and institutions and, and how we, you know, learn things that are parceled versus how it really, is, you know, what knowledge really looks and feels like and how it's a process that we that's happening that we that we are living into cellularly I think that's everything
0: (laughs) it's like the kind of like salt water the osmotic quality of like like um sea creatures like I'm talking about like you know jellyfish and anemones and sponges and like you know it's kind of like they they are just like a, they're not quite that different than the actual ocean that they swim in. Yeah. You know, like there's a kind of like, well, okay, so that's water, but that's jelly, you know, and it's like not too different, you know, it's like, so the salt osmotic squishiness is really passing through all the time, like much more obviously than our metaphor, you know, because we're doing that too, like in, in the moment, my breath and my skin are kind of off-gassing, you know? Yeah. Um, And so there is a way in which I'm like uh, transferring like minerals and and salt and, and water through my layers, but we have this, you know, illusion of hard boundaries. So we get to sort of, so that also transfers to how we think about the world It's like as it appears, then we think about it. But what you're talking about is the kind of the way it really is, which is like reminds me of like how babies learn language. It's extremely soupy.
1: It's all soupy. And I I love what you said about the air because it's we like to think of it as almost just not there, you know, an absence, but really it is if if it were dyed purple or something, you could It would be constantly moving and, and it, and it, t- and everything touches everything. You know, once you, you realize, you know, how sound, you know, the, the physical nature of sound, the waves, the air, everything touches and that's, and everything's living and everything's partaking and part of each other. And yeah, that's, that's my stuff. I feel like that's, that's the reality that feels close to my core. Yeah. Also, want it. Your talk of jellyfish brought up a, 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 I almost said a dream, but I don't know if it was a dream or a childhood hallucination. It was somewhere between the two.
0: Yeah, I like. <laughs> you know
1: that. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like when you're when you're a little bit sick and have a fever as a kid, and like things start to, <laughs> to start <sighs> feel a little different. But I had this vision, I guess I'll call it of being on my way to heaven and or you know i don't know if it was heaven but being on my way to face god or the divine or something like that and air became solid like jelly and i was moving through air solid like slowly moving through this like jelly substance yeah. towards light basically mm-hmm. towards the sun
0: yeah
1: and i just remember as a kid being like, that's the true heaven.
0: You know, I was
1: like, like, that's the truth, not this other stuff I've heard.
0: (laughs) Right, heaven is really just like a plasma field, (laughs) ocean, you know, it's like, whoa. I mean, I truly resonate with that. Um, I'll share with you an article later that I've been sharing around, which is by an Asian um, person talking about like the fallacy of the Big Bang and and a lot of things like what is cosmology like how do we study and how our cosmology um, kind of infects our our, our behaviors and our um, like our co- our cosmology and our worldview affects what we allow to exist in our mind but is still mm-hmm. out there right it's like it, it colors the world in a certain way and um I, I'm just wondering, like, were, were was your family religious um, when you were a kid and had this epiphanic <laughs> plasma dream? Uh, my
1: my mom, so my mom, who is Guatemalan, was raised very Catholic, but in an interesting way, um, you know, in a syncretic way that where the Catholic the Catholicism in latin america is very tied to indigenous you know viewpoints and and practices and so it has a different totally different flavor than like european catholicism but it has it had a lot of that in it but also my grandmother um my mom's mom was illiterate so her understanding like literally i i would see her holding the bible upside down like it was a sacred object to her it was um and i've never met you know, someone who for whom that type of religion was so animistic, like the way she viewed Jesus and the way she understood these concepts from this illiterate point of view that didn't really have formal training in it, just really instinctual. Uh-huh. It was really beautiful, but it did have, you know, also a lot of the imported <laughs> Catholicisms of shame and da-da-da. But so there was that side of things, um, and then my mom, who's very rebellious, also considers herself Catholic, and and kind of like you were describing as a scavenger, takes what she takes what's useful to her, but throws a lot out. And then my dad is a hardcore atheist. He was a war vet. You know, he's seen the worst of humanity. He's skeptical of anything that <clears throat> is you know you can't prove. Mm-hmm. In that way, and so it was kind of coming from between those two places,
0: yeah, yeah. Like most mixed kids, we're constantly <laughs> in a strange crossroads in which, like, a lots of different ancestors are trying to tell us the way it is.
1: <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a lot of ways,
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stories here that kind of contradict sometimes. Oh, that's very interesting.
1: I was interested earlier, before we started recording, you described yourself as a crossroads person or something. I don't know if you use those exact terms, but uh, uh, I I had found out a few years ago, my Nawal, which in, I think, it, I think it's, I don't, I actually don't know if it, if it originate, if that system originates with Aztec or Mayan or if it was, or whatever precursor, yeah. um, but, basically the pre-Columbian version of um of astrology in that way and my sign was ebb which is a crossroads it's a it represents one who dwells in the crossroads as well and your purpose is is one of linking and the image I got when I was thinking about to how you were describing this thing that you and I share in common of being kind of scavenger-like or how we we in our processes i thought of have you seen spirited away yes the kamaji figure with the many arms who's kind of pulling all these spices and he's serving the the ghosts in this bathhouse and he's just kind of unconsciously i I don't know if he's really thinking or his arms are thinking but they are (laughs) individually doing like i don't know how many arms he has but a lot and they're all maybe eight because he's spider-like but he's doing all of these things processes at once and there's somehow it's somehow all working out um in this beautiful way that i feel probably you and i both have experienced where you don't know why how how everything's aligning when it feels like it should be utter chaos
0: but somehow yeah there's a kind of tentacular intelligence happening yeah. It's very octopus-like. Like, I like the octopus as a, as like a kind of demigod because it shows us a completely alternate way to arrange a nervous system,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? And it and it's like its skin is like its brain is, its, you know, central processing unit is kind of distributed, yeah. amongst its, um, nerves and dendrites and proprioceptors and everything, so that. It doesn't have to like, it doesn't have to collaborate in the same way that we do, where like we are often doing something in trance and then we have to like come back to some kind of center and like make sure it's okay and then redistribute. Like we're kind of doing this all the time, right? Like, and the octopus is kind of never needs to do that because all of itself is truly integrated. Like it's really integrated, its whole self. Is always sensing in three hundred and sixty degrees, so there's no, there is no central. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's a much different way to think. Yeah, that's it, such a be-
1: beautiful, a way of of, you know, having an or uh, having a nervous system and and kind of being in the world. It it makes me think a lot about why you know, why, why are we so human centric, you know, in, in terms of <laughs> like, why, why, are, yeah, I, I guess, you know, when you look at a creature like that, or like a dolphin, who has is so advanced in, in a, you know, scientifically, in a way that we are brain wise, but without arms to do to make human tools, it, it's just like, where, how does all that look emotionally in the emotional life evolution of the dolphin or you know there's all these creatures around us that have such incredible wisdom through their bodies through their shapes and yet because they don't have human shapes we that wisdom is somehow lesser you know
0: it's wild to me right but it's it's because you know like like when we go into the dolphin's aura or psychic aura we can sort of start to dream like the way we dreamt when we were in the womb, where like, when we were in the womb, we weren't able to like, you know, I don't know, go carve a, go carve a stick or something, you know, what's something that someone with hands and feet can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this kind of like amniotic dreaming, which is still like deeply complex, but it's not complex in the way that we are now here outside of the womb talking in three-dimensional space. There's a kind of, like, like imagine all of the pre-emotions that we had that we can't even name. Like, we don't even have the linguistic capacity to even, to just get barely close to what that might have been like, you know? And I think about that and, like, the octopus and the, the dolphin and, like, you know, whatever bacteria lives in space, you know, where there's a different... It's just the context is so different, but they're swimming in that context. Yeah, it's again that like plasma field, and so if you don't have the so-called you know agential tools that we take for granted as humans, which includes our our our, our mouth structure to kind of create such elaborate sounds and and words, um, and then the hands to sort of go out and change the world in a certain way where does all that energy go it has to go somewhere it has to (laughs) profound
1: i mean i that's why i think of yeah creatures you know who have this you know profound intelligence like what i just i can almost imagine what that must feel or look like right you know so special when all of it hasn't gone into self-serving tools (laughs) Totally. You know, what Unless- like a
0: kind of tele like a kind of telepathic gardening, you know, where it's like all that all that psychic energy has to it has to communicate. It has to commune, right? It has to go into a field in which it does something and then feed the feedback loop has to come back to the creature, right? <laughs>
1: too. And I, and we know like in the case of dolphins, they're so they're so communicative with each other. And there's they they have such profound family systems. I imagine it's somewhere in their in their sense of you know the communal that they're genius kind of in a way that we can't really fathom.
0: Right. Like their also. social nuance must be so complex like the density of information in a single in a single click or a single chirp, you know, like the density. <laughs> right. It's also, you know, when
1: our, cause our senses are quite amazing as well, you know, just what we're able to communicate with non-verbally. Mm-hmm. And it reminded, all this is reminding me of this time when I was visiting friends in Northern Vietnam who are Hmong and, you know, the, uh, their, the, this particular friend was illiterate and just you know very living very close to nature. I should say that doesn't didn't have access to phone or technology in the way we do. And um, there was a time when I was looking for my purse. I left it somewhere in the house, um, and the house has a dirt floor. It's made of bamboo through like old traditional knowledge. And I literally just, and it was just a random thing. I, I think I wanted a photo that I had in the purse. And this was, you know, like hours into the night when we were hanging out, my eyes just flicked. I like was looking for it for a split second. And she was like, oh, you're looking for your purse. She went and got it for me. Like she, she just knew. And, and I had that same kind of experience many times with her and her sisters where the smallest physical gesture that I gave was immediately understood, comprehended and reacted to. Like so much, I just, I remember one time we were walking too out in, in the, um, the rice terraces and they were like, oh, there's a new, there are new tourists in the area. And I was like looking and I couldn't see. And then finally with like binoculars, I could see the tiniest, speck in the distance of someone moving and they already knew which family they were going to, who these, you know, they, there was a whole level of information understood because of their, you know, closeness to their, to their, their context it was so alive, you know, their, their environment that they lived in was so present to them. It really, it really struck me. And when I, I was there for I think I had been there for six weeks at one point and really steeped in this kind of um, earth-based living, being away from technology, being away from reading even, being away from um, everything, just kind of really being with them. And I, I was on our friend's motorbike and he was taking me to see something and he didn't speak English. I didn't know what he was taking me to see. I just loved being on motorcycles. And so I was like, yes, I just want to do this. And it was a really bumpy ride. He's, he's a really, he's a real wildcat. So he was going up, you know, small waterfalls, like just doing crazy stuff on the, on the motorcycle, which I love. I never want to be off of a motorcycle. And all of a sudden on this journey, I suddenly felt like I want to be off the motorcycle. Like I felt like a pit of dread. I never feel that. And I saw some water, which is, you know, just like water trickling down the trail on the sides. And he pointed out like a small waterfall. And I just felt like, like a knife stab when I saw the water. And I'm like a water sign I love water. This is, so. these were such weird sensations. I want to get off the motorcycle. This water feels wrong, bad. I was like getting like negative feelings. And then he took me to, kind of a little like squalid kind of village that had been abandoned we just he got really quiet we looked around a little and then went back then later when I, I was with his sister i she she asked me if you know if i if i saw and she was like yeah so that village you know basically was destroyed in a flood and everybody died the buffaloes died you know she they all know that i'm a vegan and very connected to animals and so they always tell me <laughs> when there's anything involving animals and she told me that all the animals had died the buffaloes had died people had been displaced and it just hit me like somehow my body was sensing the death that had happened there the year it was like a year before you know and he had taken me just to kind of see that sp- i don't know why he took me to this day i don't know why but it was it really struck me that after being there for so long i felt so connected to these feelings that it felt like being psychic right. and it was just my body coming awake in ways that have aren't very possible here
0: right like somehow the signal that the water was carrying which it was still carrying some kind of memory information and there wasn't bar- there wasn't as many barriers in the way yeah exactly
1: yeah yeah and I I, yeah I think in in creating poetry or in processes there's a lot of me trying really hard to step outside of myself in whatever way I can to step outside of myself mentally or to go so deeply in that there's that whole Um, I like how the way you put it earlier this like conceived cosmology of of things that can be limiting like how can I I, I'm trying to kind of go into my slug zone you know my mindless (laughs) receptor zone (laughs) and then just take when take whatever's there to be perceived or experienced Mm -hmm. and then waking back into some kind of consciousness where I can then collage and put together and find. Then that, then that consciousness becomes useful, you know, in like perceiving patterns or, or whatever. Right,
0: yeah. right. It's more, but it's more like the revisioning or the editing. Like the human consciousness is more like a revisioning, editing, pattern mm-hmm. arranging. Yeah. Like a pattern arranging. Yeah, I was curious about this because I've read some of your um, recent work that you're coming out with, and I was really wondering, like, (laughs) like, at a certain point, I was like, oh, is this just like a trip narration, you know, like, is, you know, like, this isn't actually poetry. This is just literally like this happened and then this happened and then this happened, but this is the most accurate way to tell it. It's like, I was, I was wondering about that, like the process of what what people might call generation of material or material, you know, material generation when you're creating content, but you don't quite know where it's going to, you know, end up. You're just kind of creating content. Um, And I think it's different for a lot of people, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're sort of tentatively entering into this because for many times, I don't feel like I'm consciously creating a damn thing. Mm -hmm. Like, but I feel like there's a kind of like, like I'm receiving something or I'm picking up something that's there and I'm just like transcribing it. It's like, oh, okay, there's a rock on the ground and I wrote rock. And I know that that's not exactly what happens because the phraseology is very strange. You know, it's not like I picked up a rock, but it feels like that sometimes. It feels like, oh yeah, rock, bird, tree, river in between, uh, you know, like, um, and then I, I sort of like, have to go, oh right, this is how poetry happens. But I even had to rename my poetic process to like not call it poetry making. You what know what you I, call mean? I call it Afropoiesis, mm-hmm. um, which to me, so it's like, I, you know, I created this word through its own process. So I tried to name the process that was happening, which was like, it felt self arising Like it felt like the root of poetry, which was like poesis, like a kind of auto poetic kind of, oh, something is making itself happen, like a kind of emergence of selfness, but I'm not doing it. I'm just kind of, oh, here it is. But the Afro part is that first part of Aphrodite, which is interesting because it's like foam. It means foam, Mm -hmm. like foam from the sea. Yeah. So so Afropoesis actually means foam becoming.
1: That feels very, very accurate um, to what the process feels like for me, you know, and the way that the sea kind of throws up this foam that collects, that's, yeah, exactly, totally. that's exactly the process. It's like, you're really just there to gather <laughs> what you get, like the refuse of this big living thing um, that's far more powerful, mysterious, um, and, you know, unlimited. And I I think that what you said in the beginning that you feel like you're not creating anything, I I feel that all the time. In fact, I feel most of the time like nothing's happening. And I think there there can be a lot of pain and tension around that as a totally.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> a lot of crisis and kind of questioning of your path. But
0: yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even the book that you're talking about, Dream of Shibalba, but it I just felt I, if someone had asked me, you know, how's the writing going? I would have been like, I haven't written in years. You know, that was the feeling. And then one day, I collected all of these fragments I had, and there was the book. And it, I, I really, it, I was like, when did this happen? Some, you know, <laughs> you look at some pages, and it's like, is that? Did I even write this? I should Google it to make sure it's not someone else. And it's it like totally, so totally. <laughs> yeah and then it's not until after i'm like well do these make sense together and then <laughs> that then you start reading it and being like oh wow they do fit together somehow totally. uh, and yeah it's such a mysterious process
0: <laughs> yeah i mean i i often think of it like this process you're talking about which is like the kind of over time uncovering and remembering things that you don't remember doing But they're there in your book, and you're like, well, this is my handwriting, so clearly (laughs) you're I did it. But it's like a weird archaeology. It's like I buried these things and then brainwashed myself to forget them, but I didn't do any of that on purpose. Like none of this was contrived. Like I'm not saying that this is a process, trademark, XYZ, you know, like this is not like some hypnotic thing I'm doing to myself this is more just like the secretions of the slug and then they make marks and then I'm like, Oh, how, why? Oh. And then I just find notebooks that are filled up and, but I'm like, Oh, right. This is like from two and a half years. And you look at it and you're like, what even, but in that new frame of reference, like given enough time and distance, they do somehow just sort of like, they either like edit themselves somehow in that moment. Right. They're just like, Oh yeah, that goes here. And then, and it's almost very like cooking at that point. It's like, Oh, I gathered all this food somewhere, somewhere. I don't know. Oh, but now I just make a stew and you chop it like this and you do this thing.
1: Yeah. And then it's like not a part of you anymore. And I think when in those weird moments of creation, it's still attached to you. Like I, my, um, my greatest poetry teacher, Lucy Brock Broido, she would say, you know, fresh poems were still, quote unquote, wet from the other side. And I, I feel like it's so hard to see those things because they're, they're like umbilically linked to you. And you have to have that weird distance then to be able to come back to it and like be like, oh, yeah, what, what is this weird document?
0: Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because the freshness and the connection, like colors our perception of it. Like, it's almost like we can't see it clearly yet. And yet there's a kind of beauty to the, to that sort of freshness too, where like, cause it, it's saying something more than what it's saying.
1: Yes. It's like a dream, you know, and, and I, it's a lot like when you, it makes total sense in the moment and then you step back and you're like, whoa, what, <laughs> what did you left dream, stream or how did, you know, somehow this was that. but yeah in the i I always go back and it's like if you were to ask me what some of the pieces mean it's like i have no idea anymore i'd really feel like reading. i'd have to go and like do an analysis and try to figure it out because it's like in the moment something larger pushes through and then yeah we're kind of i'm kind of left it's like sometimes even words that i don't use find to find their way into it i'm like what what is that word <laughs> there was a, a word in, in one of my manuscripts gristbite, and I was I remembered I remembered writing it but I couldn't remember what it meant and I couldn't find it online like it didn't have a, a definition I was like did I make that word up and then I found it in some obscure dictionary that it's like the grinding it's like an arcane word for like grinding of your teeth oh my and then as soon as I remembered that the poem flooded back and it was like oh yeah and, and so I like that they, they can record these things that come through us that then are forgotten or pass. you know, it's like words or sensations or meanings, and then they take on a new life.
0: Well, that's interesting, too, because in that way, the word gristbite was almost like the key and the door, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, and then then once that key and that door are, like, opened, it's like the whole thing... Returns in some kind of way, like, oh yeah, of course, duh. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That happens in dreams too. If you forget your dream, yeah. sometimes you just need to remember one part, like one tiny right. little fragment, and then and then it comes back, and you're right there in it.
0: Right, totally. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know this. This is interesting. Like I'm. I'm so in love with the process, the processes by which we've been given a gift of like whatever you want to call it. Like um, you can call it the gift of consciousness, the gift of association, the gift of symbology, the gift of language. But like, for me, it's more about like these portals or doorways that are almost like every cell in the entire universe is like a doorway, you know, like there's a, and, and when we open a doorway we're somehow connected to a very specific yet completely un, like consciously remembered pathway between doorways it's like oh i opened that doorway and suddenly it connects to you know it kind of maps itself you know in a way um and i've always been fascinated by like where the ideas come from you know like where do the ideas come from <laughs> and i i'm so like even for a long time i had a real problem calling myself an artist because in this in this western context an artist is very like um is supposed to sort of like know what they're doing you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and really like is supposed to be able to explain how you get from point a to point d or whatever you know like (laughs) like it's some kind of math or something but i've i've come to you know fall back in love with the way that it seems to actually be which is like it seems random but there's an intelligence behind it and that intelligence is not mine you know like there's a um and earlier you were talking about like like the hidden processes, like how hidden everything is and messy and like not, like not, what is that phrase they use for in television? Like not fit for prime time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like it's not sanitized yet, you know? It's not like polished. Yeah, but, uh,
1: but yeah. I, I just, I feel exactly as you do on on those things and that there's, there's so much mystery to the process and even the word process, I don't know where it begins and ends, you know, like, and being an artist, I, I think it's, there's times when I am, there are times when I'm sitting down to work, right? And I for I make something happen, and I if it happens neatly, I'll claim it as my process. <laughs> you know, like great, I'm doing it, but yeah. that's that's like one percent of the time. <laughs> Most of the time, it's not that. It is so messy, and and it's happening so invisibly, and it's mixed into every other aspect of life. And um,
0: right, it's not like somehow. The art happens when you sit down at the blank page or something, right?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's, and then it's that weird balance because sometimes you, I give way, I'm like, okay, no blank page. And then I give way to all of life. And then I'm scrambling back for that blank page. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I need that. I need yeah. that. Um, cl- I need the illusion of that, that <laughs> cleanliness. I need that moment of, um, pretending you know it's like I'm in and out of illusions about what who I am where I am what I'm doing and somehow in the mix of all of that things happen
0: (laughs) totally yeah somehow in the mix of all that we produce art or whatever the hell that is but um strange fruits or something you know it's like I don't I don't know how long in the pipeline some of these so-called artistic nuggets have been sort of working their way through soil systems you know like sometimes i don't know if i'm just the current end of like some ancestors need to write you know what i mean like like some you know like somebody way back like didn't get to write poetry or something and like it's been fermenting in the system for like you know, however long it's been fermenting. And then it's like, oh, blah, blah. I'm just, I'm just the person who had the computer, you know, like, or something, and I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. But um, I'm very
1: into the, you know, those mysterious, like what you were, the, the bigger question, where do ideas come from like that? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do channel so much in all kinds of ways. And that, so I, it's rarely, I rarely have an idea, to be honest, (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a mindless, you know, opening and whatever. I'm like, I'm like sitting at the crossroads with white eyes blank, you know, that's how how kind of dreaming and receiving things. And every now and then I'll recognize what I'm receiving, but that's, you know, I'll recognize where the idea came from. Oh, it filtered through this and this, and it usually is a kind of scavenger type thing, like in dreams, like where this happened today, and then I'm also reading this, and I'm right. interested in this other thing, and somehow they've all merged into a chimera in the dream.
0: Yes. And it usually
1: happens on the page. Too. Totally,
0: I have that same experience. And another, another, another interview I've done um, with a songwriter, she, she talks about her dad being like a collage, like, like, a, like his process being like collaging, you know, like uh, the art of like taking garbage and putting it together and that's art or something, you know, like yeah. recycled art and collaging. And I find that like that chimeric quality too is like, in fact, sometimes the only way to sort of like purge, like in some way, like excrete something from my system is to sort of like recognize that the gibberish I'm writing is actually this like chimeric entity that like needs to be sort of like squeezed out so that I'm not like carrying it anymore. And then it's not even like I care about like is this going to be published because that's not the point. It's almost like there's like a ritual action of like okay, it's on the page at least, like that that yeah, kind of happened, oh, you know? yeah
1: yeah, I know these things take hold of us and and kind of torment us from inside sometimes. And I feel that actually in in this book, um, Dream of Shibalba, there was a lot of fire imagery coming through at one point. And I assumed it was because of all the fires here, everywhere, but specifically in Oregon at the time. And I just, you know, that was the easiest reason why why it was there and and true that was probably a big reason why the fire imagery was coming through but then this whole major thing that i had forgotten about i was reminded when i quote unquote accidentally wrote about a woman burning and then i remembered that my grand great grandmother burned alive um you know like caught on fire when she was warming tortillas by the fire and her skirts caught fire. And she ended up only having liquor nearby and she poured that on herself to put out the fire and engulfed her entire body. And suddenly I realized she was in the book. And then when I went back through, I saw her everywhere and it was her pain and her her body that was, you know, speaking. Totally. and it, and it's not like a clean narrative that then became like cleaned up in the book like I let it stay <clears throat> excuse me I let it stay messy and tangled like that right and it but it, it, that happens all the time you know where it's like I think I think there's some logical reason why some specific image or whatever came through and then it's not until like way later like a year later where I'm like actually reading the poems, not just kind of half asleep, browsing right. through what I've done. Yeah, yeah. Right. right, right.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and what you say about like leaving it messy, I think is really important to honor the, the actuality of our lives and our families and our ancestors. Like there, there's this kind of need or this kind of weird I don't know if it's an addiction or something, but everyone's talk. everyone talks about it, right? Like resolving everything, you know, like this fucking word resolution, resolving. And it's like, I've often, you know, for a while in my practice really said no to that. Like, like to actually actively resist this kind of, er, this addiction to, to resolution, you know, this addiction to kind of like, oh, now it's all better or whatever the fuck, you know, whatever the fuck we're talking about, like somehow we can heal the, or, you know, whatever. And instead just going like, well, you know, why can't the resolution just be the exact tangle that it actually is? Like, why is that unresolved? Like, why is the tangle somehow worse than, you know, like there's this, yeah. And I think that goes back to the language we're using and the worldview we're using where we, we write from left to right and it's not pictograms, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so when we, when we understand that the marks we're making used to be just like pictures and hieroglyphs and, and you know, mm-hmm. that's a different way of writing too and a different way of thinking where images placed next to each other tell you something more than if you just wrote linearly yeah. you know like a paragraph and I'm looking behind you and I see both of those ways you know both <laughs> of those ways are are there like images juxtaposed sort of non sequentially and get to like ping pong off of each other in nonlinear ways and then this other page of like linear writing that has a kind of flow that is trying to be ordered in a specific sequential way and i just sort of see it's like you know it's like the minds of our indigenous ancestors and the minds of our westernized ancestors right it's like (laughs) and i'll tell you this side over here with all the
1: note cards this is my torture chamber (laughs) (laughs) and this side over here with the tarot and the imagery this is where i get to be totally mindless and that's where pleasure and meditation you know for me that it's like they you know this torturous thing of writing has to come through for whatever reason it just I can't let it go but the two if I didn't have some other way to if I didn't have these other modes that are not so linear and uh, about language in this really you know um, yeah linear way it I don't think I can make it, but you, you, there was something, oh, a couple things. So when you were talking about the hieroglyphs, it reminded me of this thing I recently read. Um, I wish I could remember where, but it was, it was kind of talking about Mayan hieroglyphics and how sometimes they have, they'll just, the hieroglyphic itself will be, will become, will sprout legs or arms or head and becomes more than just a hieroglyph, it's actually an image representative of the thing it's representing, (laughs) you know? And I love that, you know, I love that kind of, that thing about Mayans or like the way, you know, jade, its value wasn't just in some kind of like transactional thing of like, oh, this like gold equals this much or jade for the sake of jade, but that it actually, you know, the greenness of it was in some ways tied to, you know, that vital color that is the energy of life and and that in carving the jade or wearing the jade you're also in relation to that you know in an animistic way to that stone to that to the earth and to the colors in that stone and jade looked wet when it was you know polished and so you're bringing water like all of these complex way anyway so that that's a whole a whole side thing but and i lost my other train of thought
0: well, let's That's see, awesome. it might come back, it might come back. But, you know, it, I really, you know, cause I've, I've talked about this with my friend Kate Morales, who um, is also, um, you know, mixed Nahua and, and does a lot of work scribing and sort of reclaiming kind of images as language. In, and I think about this in terms of like, you know, the mind does a very funny thing When it learns to write in an alphabet, you know, the mind does a funny thing, but for most of our ancestors, for the large freaking almost 300,000 years of our ancestry. um, It was like images and oral language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that to me is a real. It's almost like a safety net or a home base that we seem to have forgotten in the digital age. Yeah, you know like because the digital age is so interested in this kind of textual domination
1: mm-hmm. and this
0: kind of like exactitude
1: yeah
0: but orality which is language sort of divorced or like f- emancipated from its kind of textual prison which it it was very small right like text-based languages is very small compared to like oral language you know yeah. and the fact that we lived in this 360 degree world in which image was everywhere and also like symbol was everywhere. You yeah. know, the mountain is symbolizing, the the bird is symbolizing like, and and then when our ancestors started carving or actually making art, it was about like symbol integration, right? It was like, I take this jade from this place, which, symbolizes this whole system of knowing right and then i mix it with this you know fiber or what you know yeah. like i take this and i take that I and I, tree fiber yeah right and so you start to have this kind of really powerful symbolic scaffolding that starts to happen with image where like fire and water and air and earth are like arranged in very particular yet dense ways right like very dense
1: it's still like materialistically tied to the to their origins and so in some way it was still living and that's what my fear is now is that so much of um, the type of communication we've created is so self-reflexive that it's just this kind of it's like literally how how often are we looking at screens and closing off all of these other senses and removing ourselves from that those like embodied root places Mm -hmm. I I was thinking a lot about you know the the loss of my grandmother she passed in 2018 my mom's mom and she just like her language is, is one of the things I try as much as I can just to keep her voice alive in my head and the way she spoke I can never repeat it you know in, but there was a sing songness to when she spoke and the way she told stories still had that oral history um like drama to it you know and she she spoke a, a type of Spanish very particular to her area of Guatemala and um there's just such, there was so much beauty and, and wisdom and, and kind of layered I don't know spirit and, and every, and everything she communicated. But, you know, one of the things I loved was a couple language things with her. One was, you know, one time we, when we brought her to the States and she saw the washing machine going, you know, all day. My mom had a lot of laundry because so there's six kids yeah. or six, six in the family. And <clears throat> She, my grandma said like, you know, like that poor, poor machine. And she meant it seriously. She wasn't like making a joke. She was like, she worked so hard, you know, and and it was like, she's, but it was like, it was a living, (laughs) it was like, she's a living machine and she's working all day long. She never gets a break. Uh And that just struck me. Like, I really saw her pained with sorrow and right. Yeah, and th- there were times where she would whip out words that none of us had heard of. We assume they're Mayan, but um, you know, I remember one time she was telling telling a story about the devil and sh- she used the word tihismatis. El tihismates. And I was like, huh? <laughs> I was like, what, what is I've never heard this word. I've tried to Google it, look it up. I've never i I've never found it anywhere. And I don't know where it came from. And it was in it was when she got dementia, some of these other words um, that my mom hadn't heard since childhood started coming back into her language, like Mayan words and other kind of more more folk ways of saying things. Totally. And I, I just, I, I wish I could, I wish I still had access to that.
0: Totally.
1: There's, there's so much wisdom right. just right. In, in the way she spoke.
0: I mean, I have a story I'd love to share with you about my grandfather because it speaks to something which I think is the heart of language and poetry and storytelling, which is not necessarily this written thing, but yeah, it's like, so, so my grandfather um, is Swiss and so comes from a time where like um, his father came over on Ellis Island, you know, that kind of thing, you know, like lived through the great depression and fight in the world war and all that crazy stuff, you know, like um, and like, saw the first automobile, you know, like, so go from horse to automobile, you know, <laughs> like this kind of thing. Yeah. And, and, um, and at a time where like everyone just smoked cigarettes cause that's what you did. Right. It's like, it's are just like everyone's smoking. So, so my grandfather, um, his name was Roger Schmidt, but we call, I called him gang gang. Uh, who knows why? Cause that's what kids do. They just make up words and it sticks. Um, that's how I said grandfather. And, um, From when I was born, he he only lived about three years. So he was bedridden by the time I was born. And he was dying of emphysema from the cigarettes, right? So, (laughs) you know, just the way it is, right? And um, he would sort of make up stories that whole time with me. So I would be a baby laying in the bed because he's bedridden. And he would just make up stories, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually had complete and total... LSD like experiences in that pre like pubescent like you know one through three age in which he would be telling stories about all the cartoon characters and comic book characters like completely random like Captain America meets Bugs Bunny and go on a trip to the moon or something you know like some just wild stuff you know because he was just like dreaming talking you know like making up and I'm just this little baby but I would have these completely lucid consciousness like shifts where I could, I was like two years old and I would have this glimpse of like, oh, you're gonna remember this when you're like 35 and like completely Mm -hmm. like looking back through time and being like, oh, right, this is just what happens. And like having this complete and total, like consciousness looks at itself through a web and goes, oh yeah, it's all happening right now. You're not gonna remember this for a while kid, but it's okay. And, and being like, oh, what's happening? I'm just a little baby. I don't know what's happening. And then as I grew up and, and many other things happened, and of course taking lots of psychedelics and, and doing lots of things, having like complete and total memory regression flashbacks and being like, oh crap, that's happening right now. You know, like, so So he was he was doing something with language that was unlocking something in my brain or in my consciousness field. And I think this is the, magic of oral tradition which is not this it's it's really quite plastic and strange right where like he would just be going into a trance saying things about characters that don't exist right like whatever batman and spider-man go on a trip or whatever you know go fight the bad guys or something and that's like one level of the story right he was staring
1: at the cauldron
0: (laughs) but the other level of the story is the bubbles in the cauldron being like What's fucking happening when this is happening, right? Like the content of the story is actually not the main part of the story because the other part is can you feel your brain like carving new knots in itself? All these. And suddenly different- you're like traveling to the stars or something, you know? Yeah, all these vast, wild connections.
1: I actually had an experience similar in in that moment you talked about where you could kind of see into the like some future voice was saying like you won't remember this or something like that yeah. I remember being really young like I don't know how old but I had just heard these big like I remember two concepts I had learned that week that I didn't fully understand the word gay and the word cancer and I, <laughs> and I knew that these things were adult like I knew that they were like kind of beyond like one was like a sickness but it was so mythic you know it was like a kid learning about cancer it's like this big mythic like disease and the other I really had um you know for some reason homophobia was never passed down to me so I didn't have any judgment I was just like more neutral like huh gay like you know yeah. this thing that exists and I I remember kind of like holding these things and then this almost like future voice was like like you know this you may encounter it was almost like you may like these things are abstract now but they won't be forever it was that kind of a voice you know and, and that I can't even properly describe it to you but it was just like this future consciousness that said yeah you will encounter these again And they won't be. They will be real, and you will understand them in a different way. Like right now, they're like, you know, a a rock you pick up at the beach and then and then dropped somewhere on the walk. You know, it's like a second. But and it it was such. I remember it to this day. Like just, I can remember the room I was in when I had that feeling. You know, the basement room. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like a yeah. So so much mystery and and how things work, and so. You know, there's so much true magic in language and and so many things are opening and
0: yeah yeah and I think about this in terms of like what poetry can do in in terms of like unlocking or re-unlocking this kind of oracular oral almost like initiatory language right it's like when old people are telling young people stories they're they're they are stirring the cauldron which is an initiatory process like they're literally mm-hmm. like stimulating the system in a very particular way that's also like musical and random and, and all sorts of things are happening right
1: mm-hmm. um
0: but what i see poetry is really good at allowing us to do is this kind of remixing of language which is to say we may not have sort of obvious pictograms anymore like you know where if you put four pictograms in a row that's ten thousand words you know what i mean like it's really a lot of like if we had to unpack that in linear text four pictograms would be like pages and pages and pages right yeah but i think of poetry using english now especially with the 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 amount of queer radical queer um, experimentation that's been happening in the last you know like 10 years like the ability to to almost reimagine what that orality was like, like inventing hyphenated words and talking in ways that were like what your grandmother was saying, like these kind of really strange magic words that you can't really find, but they still have a presence. Like, you're like, wait a second, that I feel something, even though I have no idea about the definition behind it. And there's a context that's mysterious, um, And I, I find that when I choose to go into that door of poetry where I can actually go that far into like the left corner, you know, like I can really go, oh, we're not here to explain. We're here to actually like reconstitute some way of speaking that we kind of are losing because of our digital age, right? Um, It's almost like pigeon English or something. It's really weird. Like you're kind of like making up folk language, you know, um, with the hyphens and the kind of like weird little words that are kind of like accents on the story, you know, like this kind of thing that we can do with. Because you use the
1: blank page too, and you're you're using things that kind of linear um, packaged language doesn't have access to you're using emptiness you're using the line break. Right? you're using the way the way space comes into it and pause and uh, the visual um you know the p- punctuation is is open. Punctuation you know, more, open more open doors there and yeah it's right. it it's c- capturing truth in a way that we're constantly losing you know it's like trying to hold on to this slipping thing and bring it and keeping it safe you know and I think that's and and there's a reason poetry is you know non-commercial for the most part and I think if it were it'd be in great danger but there's there's this protected space where we can we really kind of see the malleability of language and just the mystery of it and it's constantly changing and, ca- and catching. I, I I would wonder if maybe all poets, all people who practice this, are in some ways scavengers, and and sponges of things, and kind of m- moving in mysterious ways. i I know I know not all are because I've met some poets who are, are more <laughs> narrative and linear, and and they're happy to to keep it that way. But but yeah, yeah, I think there's. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of connection between oral traditions and poetry. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of like, I, I like the poetry that like, leaps off the page in a sense where like, um, a, like a soundscape or like an ambient soundscape sort of, can sort of um, almost be present in the text where, yeah. and of course we have a lot of hybrid um, poets now who are doing like, music or soundscapes or like some other way of transmitting the poetry you know like whether it's ritual or um turning poets poetry into song or like back and forth you know like this this kind of hybrid forms of communication essentially you know like actually exploding the form in a certain way and I find that to be really um in some way, it's 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 hopeful. It's inspiring that um, because it is pushing back against the kind of homogenization of language that we see because of the digital globalization, right? Mm-hmm. It's um, it's pushing back. You know, I think about languages that I have no idea about, but that are based on like drums. You know, like in certain places in Africa, the drum came first, and they're orality mimics drums. So when they're talking, it's like listening to like beatboxing, you know, it's like listening to like percussion, you know, you know, this kind of real musicality to the like percussive nature of the language, you know, and that's communicating something else, you know. Yeah, um, Yeah, there's, um,
1: there's so much about what you, the, the thing that you said about homogenizing language, I think that that's really scares me. And I, when I was younger, I remember we were kind of um, hermits in a way, like a little more isolated as a family. And but me and my older sister, especially, she just had her own way of talking. And I remember there being a time when like even the word awesome or freaky, those words that I would hear other kids using were somehow like taboo with my sister because she they they imported meaning too easily and and that's like I can say that now looking backwards but then I didn't know why it was just like it was too like the others you know and now I'm sadly I do use those words (laughs) like it's like they've 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 filtered in but I I really loved that moment where we had something um that grew outside of this kind of like constantly mirrored like eyes everywhere kind of culture because it felt like it felt more like poetry like language was growing spontaneously Mm. I find with you know certain people like you or you know I have some other close friends who naturally speak more in a way that doesn't borrow so much from really really quick at the ready not that there's anything wrong with that but that there's something else that can grow when language isn't so at the ready
0: that's right yeah you have to struggle a bit
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
0: um something that i i try to do with some of my clients who like come to me for animistic kind of work is like actually struggle with the description of the emotion that you're having in a certain part of your body right it's like because most people are like it's just so simple. Anger. Where's, you know, it's like anger or fear or like, like it's already prepackaged. The emotional name is prepackaged. The like, where it lives in the body is like, oh, it's in my heart. But it's like, yeah, but like, what does that mean? Like, what part of the heart? You know, like there's a real, there's a real flattening of our experience because we like to name things very quickly. And it's that this is that like information thing you're talking about where it's like, if I say I have a pain in my heart, everyone just checks it off the list. They're like, okay, I understand what that means.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, oh, I understand, whatever. And they check, and everyone just, it's like, okay. But for the poet or for someone who really wants to not flatten it so quickly, you have to go deeper than that. You have to actually struggle to describe. You have to, you have to struggle because, most people they ask me they're like how are you so good with speaking like you seem to improvise so easily with language i'm like no i'm just constantly struggling to describe what's happening i'm just constantly struggling but the more you constantly struggle the more you just go oh yeah this is how it is you know like you just have to go uh, you know but there is something to like i really want to give that to people like it's okay to struggle and it's okay to struggle in the middle of a conversation yeah to describe something that won't that might not even make sense to the other person but you took a step you know like you took a big step in the direction of actually relating right you actually had to go yeah i don't know there's like a silver tooth you know i don't know you know like there's something happening in the struggling to describe even though we may never truly describe it you know in its fullest sense right
1: yeah, and I, I, I really, when I see that struggle in someone else, I recognize it immediately and I, I respect it a lot because I, I associate that with truth. You know, people who will who will struggle to arrive at something that's more truthful, even if the other thing is easier and it's just one degree less truthful. Yeah. Like there's, <laughs> totally, totally. It's like you could say you're broken hearted, but if you take that extra step to say, to give it the texture and the life behind that, I physically recognize that and I will respond to it because it makes it alive for me too. And that, that's something when I was teaching poetry, it, it's the hard thing to, you, you never, no, no student ever wants to hear that this is a cliche, you know, and so it's like, how do, that's the word. <laughs> but how do we show what why it is a cliche or what what is that flattening of meaning that's happening I think you said it you said it really beautifully actually there was a a a poet friend of mine who is how would I one of these very truthful people whose language always surprises I never know what they're going to say next and it and it never had i've never heard it before it's like anything they say it's always going to come in some fresh way and they're also a i would say like a nervous person or you know an awkward person but they come off as confident somehow it's like they they have this incredible kind of like nervous energy that's also so confident in itself and we were talking once and they said you know i I am incredibly awkward and I, I know my own awkwardness, but I've grown comfortable with that discomfort. And it was that, I think it like what you were saying with your own struggle. It's like, if you can let yourself grow comfortable with the discomfort, then you can lit. it can really, it can really feel, it can really look to others like a kind of confidence and there's like a map, you know, not that it matters, what it looks like to others, but it can, I think it can grow and mature in really interesting ways. And, and so often we're worried that, you know, if this awkwardness reveals itself, or the struggle reveals itself, it's going to look like, I'm nothing, I'm I'm a lie, or I'm this, or I'm that, when really, I think it's the opposite, when people can see that and really respect it and recognize themselves in it. Totally.
0: I mean, there's something to like, like there is one quality of skillfulness, which is about sort of making things easier, right? Or something like that. Like there is a, there is something to the like fluency, just like the fluency of things and, and having a repertoire or something. But then there's something, you know, to me where if you go too far in that direction, you can really disguise your humanity, you know, like you could really like, yeah. You can pretend to be not human, right? Like you can pretend to be perfect or something. And, but I think that the best art is a, is a combination of the two, in which like, someone is safe enough and has like enough of a repertoire, in order to, be like obvious with their struggle. Like they're struggling in public, you know. Like they're actually, they're actually not willing to be bored in a certain sense like socially or 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 artistically or aesthetically like they're not willing to just keep checking off the little box of like oh i know what that means it's a red it's a red wheel or you know like and art begs us to kind of do that like art begs us to go go beyond the the first impression you know go beyond the first impression the linguistic kind of labeling and categorization and go deeper into the kind of like like I don't when you're writing a poetry or where you're writing a story and a tangent erupts and you get taken on a tangent. Mm-hmm. And for some people it's like, oh, that's a tangent, but it's like, no, that's the fucking light. That's the that's the thing being alive, you know? <laughs>
1: the or, you know, that you're yeah. that you're mining for actually the whole time. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah. And, I, and I love the um, the this and I don't even think I'm there completely yet and and this podcast has been a kind of ritual experiment in trying to see if I could explicitly not just talk about talking but but get to a place where enough people come on the show and enough people have listened to the show that if I do a another kind of talk show or another kind of show there's a kind of there's already the capacity for a surprise in the communication Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah and I'm 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 completely honest with you I don't think I'm there yet I think I'm continually still defaulting to something that is normative palatable etc you know um and I think that that's fine because it's like we do what we do to iterate forward but it's just so interesting to me how much we have to find the others in order to strengthen this um this this subversive. like because really what i'm talking about is commu- subverting communication in a way that. yeah you know like it's it, it might seem dangerous or it might seem weird or it might seem useless you know like oh no the terrible useless thing you know.
1: <laughs> but it's if if this is you not fully there yet, I, it really just inspires me to know what that looks like. Cause I, I believe, you know, oftentimes I'll say like, oh, this isn't good enough for me. And people are like, oh no, 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 but it's fine. And that might be true, but I know that there's an even greater form. I'm not um, ready yet to, I can't, I'm not equal to it, you know? <laughs> and so I'm just like mind blown. Like what is, I trust that that greater form in you is something I can't even comprehend and want to see because you've already created such an open it it really does feel like the thing that you're addressing the thing that you're trying to look at um, gets to be embodied here and we look through being in it and and you've already done that and so I'm just like wow whatever your higher version of that looks (laughs) very interested in (laughs) I also want to get
0: there. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I do. I do feel like, on some level, the older I get, the more I'm trying to catch what my grandfather was maybe unconsciously trying to give me through the ancestors, which is something that is akin to like spontaneous improvisational storytelling, but also like it's initiatory and educational. Like it's not just random. Because the way that we hold each other, the way that we actually embody a kind of care, like a communal care, like it's not just here I am on the podium, gonna do my reading or whatever, you know, you're, oh, you like poetry or something, you know. But there is something about the circular, organismic quality of the responsibility of storytelling, the responsibility of language, but but not just responsibility, but the kind of the channeling and the playfulness of like the spirit of language kind of erupting. And we see this wonderfully with like youth of color, right? They're inventing words, like they invent slang and catchphrases like, you know, it's just like out there. Um, And and I'm really interested in that being a real I don't think democratic is the right word, but like open source, I think is more correct word. Like the open sourceness of language is not just for academics. You know, it's not just for people with like an MFA and, you know, literary, you know, whatever. But, you know, cause there's a way in which that happens. It
1: um, happen. I think about that a lot with, you know, like with my with my parents who don't have degrees and yet there's, and in so many ways, I could never, you know, nothing I've ever learned in school could ever match some of the things they know. And because they haven't, maybe aren't an artist or a this or that, or, you know, it's like they, that social wrapper um, hasn't been presented to them to like hold that thing that they carry. And so it's devalued, you know, right. it's like, oh, you're a house painter? Well, <laughs> you know, I'll take what you say with a grain of salt, you know, it's like, or, you know. <laughs> right it's it's totally weird yeah whereas like my dad is one of the greatest artists I know and which is it's like I I believe that and it's true and and the what what I have to show for it is his doodles you know it's like you know it's like how do I show this to the world and and even to himself or to my mom you know who is a poet but everything is private and for herself and in her journals yeah and she has no attachment to this whole other literary world which is foreign to her and alien and kind of cold and unalive totally and and i'm like kind of ashamed that i'm even a part of (laughs) (laughs) it yeah it's like how, how can i make how can i bring like sometimes those things don't get to live in the same way as somebody who could who sits before you with a bio and an mfa and a book it's like suddenly we all we all give that a special container it's just like it's, it's we just live in all these illusions and mm-hmm. any any kind of thing that can help break those down and interested in
0: right yeah yeah there's something that like i think many of us are missing in our westernized siloed world is like community theater or community show and tell it's like I imagine that many of our ancestors they were all farmers but they also did other things you know it's like everybody has a basic skill set and does a kind of role in the community like your dad's a house painter and we need house painters right like that's just great you know it's not like better or worse than something else it's like like, highly
1: skilled (laughs)
0: yeah it's like it's like well I mean we need house painters right like that's great like be whatever like Um, But there is something that I think we have, you know, let go of, which is the interdisciplinary nature of just being a human being. Yes. That, like, a human being is both a hunter and a gatherer and a cook and a parent and a forager and a crafter and a carver and a basket, you know, like, maybe not all of those things, but, like, a good handful of those things, like, really has an art and uh, a kind of science and a kind of like role in the community that's maybe political, right? Like they're doing yeah. all of these things. They're like full people, hopefully, you know, <laughs> like they're full people. Um, and, and I want to, I, in our rush to get somewhere in the digital age and in the kind of like uh, whoever, post-capitalist, whatever the fuck we're doing, but really is nothing, you know, whatever, in this rush to get somewhere, we, we also rush to specialize mm-hmm. and yeah. we rush to kind of carve out our niche like I'm this or I'm that. But like there's really something to be said for like regular interdisciplinary people who have full lives and because of the fullness of their lives, maybe they can't go super deep in one area or something, you know what I mean
1: you don't become the master of wood carving or whatever
0: yeah something like that like maybe you don't do that like but that isn't to say that like you don't have like a bevy of like really decent you know aesthetically interesting pastimes you know what i mean like
1: i remember once when i was in i had been in 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 college i think yeah i was in college cuz i had just kind of found out about filmmaking and that it's something you can actually learn and do you know and it, it i had gotten into this program on a scholarship at columbia for the summer and it was like a one month intro to filmmaking type of thing and it was just all new for me and i was exploring it and i remember at one point I had a, a little one-on-one with one of the directors and he said, well, what are, tell me your interests. And I just listed all of these things. And he looked at me and was like, well, you know, jack of all trades is a master of none. He was like, and I suggest if, you know, if, if you like these other things, go into something else because filmmaking is not for you. He literally told me that he was like, "If you're a filmmaker, you're dedicated to it. That's the one thing on your mind. And I lit. Li- I was such a little soft sponge then. It really did impact me. Like, I, I really took that to heart. I was like, well, okay, I can't be a filmmaker. Like, I can't, and I, I took a long, <laughs> you know, I, I went to poetry, which yeah. was all welcoming at the time, and yeah, it's only now they're, like, braiding back together, but it, yeah, I, I, there's such a stigma against the, the, the poor Jack of but it really Oh, it was,
0: poor, yeah
1: look at animals you know how much they do how much knowledge they have you know in their um even in their you know quote unquote which isn't even true but basic living it's like even just in living there's so many skills involved in that from different arenas and spirit has to live in all of it creativity lives in spirit and so there's everybody has to have a creative out you know everything's creative (laughs) yeah everything it's like even house painting you know there's every single thing has an expression of the body
0: and yeah and it you know it's like in some black mirror episode kind of thing that we can think about it's like imagine if we go the distance with this kind of specialization then like you have to hire a cook to make your food because you're not a cook you're a poet you know what i mean like that The, yeah. the 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 um, like if we can take that absurdity to its nth level then everyone only specializes in one task you know it has to like get you it's a giant machine
1: everybody's like one cog and yeah totally
0: <laughs> oh man this has been a rad conversation um so i want to thank you again for coming on and just stirring the cauldron with me because i don't get to talk to other Folks like you enough, and <laughs> I love nice. I love being able to do it. Um, I'm curious if there are things you'd like to talk about um, in our in our final sort of maybe you know a few minutes or whatever we can go longer, but um, I'm cognizant of the time, and I'm just curious about sort of what what keeps like what puts you on the edge of your seat these days in terms of your creative praxis, and maybe that. Is an easy segue into sort of like plugging projects you're doing, but it might not be. You might, you know, you might not like that question. So I'm totally open.
1: Well, you know, with all the all the um, writing I've been doing the past few years, just kind of shifting into screenwriting, and it, it's opened up this whole kind of narrative thing for me. That's very ta- It's very taxing, and I I really love it, but it's also, you know, can be really torturous. And so I I've really kind of let um, let myself really embrace a creative practice that's not like that. And so I've been doing more ceramics lately and and drawing. And and this tarot set just kind of appeared in October. I just started drawing every night I didn't I wasn't planning to make a tarot set or you know just was like oh, this <laughs> draw it was the first one I did was temperance which is a centipede with eyes on it and I don't know why my mind just said temperance it makes no sense because you know and I went and kind of then came back with my organizing mind and gave found some reasons why temperance works for that card and then it kind of grew from there where I'd let myself create an unconscious image without any plan in mind. And then I would find which card it is. Um, and so I've slowly created a major arcana. And that's been, I think that's been kind of driving me in a, in a long, like when, I, when I'm kind of spent with the language stuff, I like to really like put, like shove my hands into the soil of something else you know and I think that the tarot deck has been one thing which I hope I hope but I don't know I hope to kind of put into a form that others can partake in by the end of the year you know that's the that's my large plan for that but I it might take longer who knows um but what's been really exciting me exciting to me lately has just been reading more about mushrooms I I recently bought that book Entangled Life <laughs> and um, just kind of immersing myself more in mycelium and the ideas of that, you know, I think that's just central to everything, and I I really want to kind of come back to nature, and so it's, I've, yeah, I've been really drawn to things that explore the world in that way, and kind of re-examining um, Mayan culture, too, been kind of looking for new sources that where I can come back to it in a way that's maybe not so historical or, you know, in, way, in other ways that I've been exposed to it in the past. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through my own grandmother's tales. So, yeah, I've just kind of been looking for ways to kind of put my hands in the earth, so to speak, totally. in non-mental. <laughs>
0: right, right, right. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very important, you know, to have these m- modes that we move, from like if you're really doing one mode of being or one mode of thinking in a certain way or like one mode of creating to really notice the architecture or the the contours of that mode and really also go oh that's not the only mode I should be inhabiting you know like there's a other space for my system to kind of do other things and I'm really such a fan of like having three or four like ways of creating so that we don't like get so that we can just continually this is like know, run around the circle or something like there's like you're working
1: mode circle. mode is a great thing because it's kind of a whole body experience you know and it, and it a different mode awakens different parts or you oh, know really? like we can bring yeah it's like we're the jellyfish right and we get to like inhabit these different shapes and totally.
0: yeah Yeah, beautiful. Well, um, I will just I'm saying this to the ether realm. Now Um, we're going to put links and and various things in the show notes. But but if you want to say any links now or where people can contact you or follow your work, that would be great.
1: Yes, I've been fairly good at keeping. Um, things updated on my Instagram which is tarot obscuro t-a-r-o-t underscore o-b-s-c-u-r-o I think I got that right yeah I like to I I like to kind of like document artwork on there and readings or things coming up and then I I have a website which I don't (laughs) it's kind (laughs) of a useless thing right now I don't even know if I'll keep it because I don't I don't really tend to it enough and I'm not yeah. sure what it's, uh, yeah, there's a whole set of questions that come with it, but yeah. website is obscurobeach.com. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And even if you shelf the website, you got to use that word, that that term, you got to <laughs> use the term again. Cause that's a great obscuro beach is like, I want to visit that place.
1: I, I was actually thinking about that recently. I was like, maybe I changed the
0: website from being like this
1: kind of, um resume type document that i was always created to like get into a program with a scholarship. you know it's kind of like this <laughs> this like fossil of things i needed in the past and now i i was thinking about obscuro beach because there's a whole story you know there's there's a whole story of how that came to be and i'd love to kind of what would it be to make the visiting of the website the visiting of obscuro beach
0: yeah totally i'm totally into that kind of like multimedia for the sake of like oh here's a portal into another world like it's not actually selling you anything
1: <laughs> well, I love that and my, my partner um, who studied web design in college made what for one of their final projects made I can't remember what it was called but it was it was like a project for school just like make a website and what they did was it's like you get to the site and there are basically doors that you can click on one of the doors is like a bowl in a tree. One is an actual door. One is, um, you know, like a floating window in the sky. And and this music starts playing when you open the website. It's kind of eerie. And you click on the door, and it's like suddenly the you go into this dark. It was almost like a video game more. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I kind of want. I was like, I would like that to be my website. Just take yeah. someone somewhere and give them like a full body <laughs> experience. Yeah,
0: totally. Right, like you're finding an artifact, right? It's like you're, and the artifact is multidimensional and you can like walk around in it a little bit like that, you know, this kind of portals to other places. Yeah. I mean, I think that was really the, when you remember the beginning of the internet, that was part of the like amazing rush of energy that everyone felt is like, oh, you can just like make little worlds and hyperlinks and whoa, you know, there was a real, before it got colonized by all the big companies, you know, yeah. the internet was kind of like, like very punk rock, you know, artistry, you know, it was like punk art, you know. Yeah, it was all, it was
1: all so rough around the edges too, which I really like now. Yeah, totally. And- one of the first we I remember when we finally got a computer in our house, and then there was this whole concept of like computer games, and my siblings and all and I all found Mist. I think at oh, I, I, I think you could rent them from Blockbuster or something, but yeah. we got Mist, and it was like a whole family affair. Like we would be like click there, click, you know. It's just this incredible, and it's all Mist is like my favorite game because I don't even know what happens. Like you're just like finding things and opening them you find a yeah. journal you read it you open a door <laughs> like yeah, totally. you're looking for keys or like you're looking for things that just open other things
0: <laughs> yeah totally yeah. and it's
1: all mysterious and like it all means something bigger but you never find out what <laughs>
0: yeah, and you don't really care you don't care you don't you're really care what's happening you know <laughs> totally <laughs> it's the best game yeah i remember those days too that was yeah i mean the, that was like the promise of virtual reality was really the promise of being able to dream together while we were awake, right? Which is essentially what all of our entheogenic ancestral rituals were, too. But like the, you know, like this, this we're all searching for the same thing over and over again, you know. It's not really any different. But this, this ability to dream together and actually have an experience... Um, that actually changes us, even though it's not real. I mean, like whatever, it is real, but like we have this kind of, we like to believe there's a barrier, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so we just all go watch movies and go, it's not real, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think that's, that was one of the things that blew my mind when I was 18 or something and, and found a book on young or I don't remember how I was exposed to young, but um that idea of the psyche being real and that what you dream is taken seriously as an experience that you have had. I just totally that opened up so much for me. But anyway, yeah. I could I feel like we could literally talk for 18 more hours and still we
0: probably could. Well, <laughs> <Not people. laughs> We will put a pin in it because I have ideas about how to sort of open up the the conversation in the future and now you're part of that conversation so I'm really help I'm really happy and I'd love to end with a bibli like we began with bibliomancy. Let's mm-hmm. end with bibliomancy. So what's what's a question or an intention that you think will guide us?
1: How can I open myself more truthfully to the greater forces within and without?
0: Okay. So let's, say, let's, let's feel into that again. How can I open myself more truthfully to the greater forces
1: within, within and, without.
0: and without? Okay, you're going to do it again. You're going to tell me to stop on the page, and then I'll move my finger around, and then you'll tell me to stop again. Okay, so okay. wisdom. Here we go. Stop. Ooh. Mm. Stop. Stop. Okay. <laughs> there like they there like t-h-e-i-r so their secondary role as instruments of love makes them susceptible to a spiritual metamorphosis which identifies them with the uris of the muslim paradise their secondary
1: and the role of love i i i I love that so much for this answer (laughs) you know because it's like you know what is love but an attraction and curiosity and an opening in ourselves that's full of light, you know, and possibility and creativity and creation, and then also this kind of humbling. Yeah, <laughs> like you, yeah you are, you know, this open remembering kind of that there. That first of all, you aren't primary. And right. So I think there's something, and that's that's kind of where I what I kind of drew from that what about you what did you
0: see I mean I think it's really like in my mind it was like a trick where it was like oh you think their secondary role is an instrument of love but it's their primary role. you know it's like there's something about like the hidden nature of love as the foundation of all creation you know like that like whatever you want to think about the cold hard reality it's not that it's like there is this, like, we are all existing because of some innate, like what you said, some innate attraction, some innate, like, uh, amour, you know, like some real amorous, erotic, um, interest, you, you know. That's
1: molecules, like, whatever that forces that draws things together, it's there. I, I think there's a clear, specter. Moment where she says something like the world began when one molecule said yes to another, or, you know, something like that. But it's just this—it right. right. is love, and and we see it in plants. We see it, and it is this kind of beautiful force of connection.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, going back to your original question, is like remembering that we are instruments of love is really—I mean, it sounds sappy on some level, but it's also just very simple and grounding like to like we can get really spun out in our like reasons for doing things yeah
1: and I like the word instrument because I think of breath or like a flute you know or like or even a guitar string that we are played upon we are we things come through us we are touched by greater forces and and the best way to be open to everything is by like letting that letting that sense of love be the thing that that widens and expands us and plays through us. And all of totally.
0: Awesome. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's just never ending fun when we collaborate with the universe, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the universe wants to play. The universe wants to play. Stephanie, thank you so much. Blessings to you and all your relations for everything. That you have been doing, and also just for coming on and jamming with me for two hours, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Some, I'm so amazed sometimes when people say yes to this, you know, thing. Like, okay, so
1: um, there. This is. It really felt. Um, it really felt sacred to me. Thank you. All
0: right. Well, blessings to everyone listening. Um, as we said, the links will go in the show notes and. To be continued.
1: To be continued.
0: Yeah, I hope so. Awesome. I'm going to stop the recording now. Thank you, everyone. Blessings. This has been Underworld Party.